Hello and welcome to the Something to Declare podcast. We're really pleased to have you with us today. Uh, I'm, I'm, my name is David Main. I'm a Baptist minister. Well, I suppose I can fill up confession. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Reverend Beth Alson-Glenny, who is also a Baptist minister. And we love our Baptist movement and all the people in it. So uh, that's what the podcast is all about, hearing their stories and uh, reflecting on that uh, together. Uh, Beth, hello. How are you? Hi, David. I'm really well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Doing okay. Um, and I'm doing okay partly because just had a bit of time off, so that's always a blessing. Um, and not least because a bit of time off uh, almost always involves an opportunity to do a bit more reading uh, than one gets to do. I always have big aspirations for setting aside reading time. And I do my best, and uh, yeah, but it was great to be able to go away and have some excellent time to read. Are you reading anything interesting or have you got your eyes on anything interesting? Yeah, so um, I, I always read about four books on the go at one time. I'm really mm-hmm. a book flirt. I'm terrible. I like just sitting down and reading <laughs> I like that, a book flirt. I like that. Um, so I am uh, a friend, uh, Andy Goodliffe, um, mm-hmm. who's often well-known in Baptist life, uh, is um, he recommended a book called Seven Sacred Spaces, Portals, mm-hmm. The deeper community life in Christ uh, by George Lings, and I've um, I, I I've started it, and it's um, it's lovely. Um, I don't know what I was quite expecting, but it um, it's all about kind of uh, Celtic spirituality in these kind of different spaces that you would have in monastic communities. But it so builds it from kind of desert fathers through Celtic spirituality, kind of into kind of mm. monastic rules and then into new monasticism and kind of how new monasticism understands things and it's very rich and not at all what I was expecting I think when I bought it online um and yeah it's all about how these different areas work as kind of yeah portals is the phrase he uses um to kind of move us into a deeper life with Christ and as community and as um as persons um you can use the phrase individuals um and it's just very um it's very lovely and I'm really enjoying it and it's it's a really wonderfully creative thing to read to kind of reflect on what I'm doing in chaplaincy in the year to come so I'm grateful for that nice it's one that I I bought when it came out it's on my shelf but I haven't got around to reading it yet so I'm really pleased to hear that it's good and I will move it further towards the top of the pile on the basis (laughs) of uh recommendation I'm talking of Andy uh uh the infamous uh, Andy Goodliffe, um, and he's had a, a book, another book published fairly recently um, as well that he's edited called Ministry and Conversation, um, Essays in Honour of Paul Goodliffe, and uh, there's lots of wonderful contributions in here. But I think we've both been rather taken with a chapter from the always marvellous uh, Pat Took, uh, Ministry as Gardening. And I know you particularly, I mean, we shared last week uh, how you've been experimenting with some gardening and um, you've got a good for bees policy and how I hate gardening. Uh, but even given that, I still loved this chapter of the book. And well, I mean, I've not had anything that Pat's written that I've not loved really, but um, this was particularly good, I thought. Yeah, I really, I'm... Uh... I was I got the joy of helping to um organize the book launch quietly mm. um so uh so we kind of surprised uh Paul with this fest shift and it was just very very nice and a comment you know these kind of people who have created uh Baptist life together in all sorts of ways and mm. um uh and so it's um 
yeah I, but the, the gorgeous there this gorgeous chapter by pat is definitely um well worth kind of digging into to use a terrible um you can sack me next week and bring in a different yeah. co-host <laughs> <laughs> um and i just think i i think i i try to work out why i loved it so much i think it was well as ever i think it was pat's complete realism uh, she's mm-hmm. deeply anti-clericalist um so everything she talked about was kind of trying to resist it but there is something about and i it's what i like about the uh, george ling's book actually is is when books about spirituality and ministry don't make you feel guilty for not being good enough um but yes. actually um feel like they are genuinely enabling you to reflect and grow and discover things that you didn't know and um yeah, and I think that's that's kind of what I've I've found um, about about that. Um, I I tried I I find myself actually just tweeting the um, some of the chapter because I just you did I remember, um, and uh, and it was a way of just trying to kind of like hear what she was saying and kind of really instill it. Um, but she says this fabulous phrase about ministers are not responsible for life. They must be relieved of the burden that the flourishing or not of the congregation is the measure of their own devotion or competence. Many a devoted minister serves with no fruit. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just, um, it was kind of extraordinary. She references uh, our namesake as well, something to declare, um, the, the actual book, not us. Um, and she mentioned that they're kind of not having a reference to ministry and that the silence is revealing. Um, mm. Yeah. And she just um, talks about being rooted in the real and, um, oh, there's just so much in it. There's just so much in it, mm. which is just, um, and the kind of provisionality of gardening and the kind of seasons and and how actually you don't, yeah, you don't get to kind of um, do it all you get you get given a you're very rarely the first person to plant a garden you kind of take mm. over you know it is where it is um but also the idea that actually ultimately um creation is is god's and that not to put ourselves in the place of god in the garden and just all of it is just beautiful would recommend it highly um because that and that's yes. in ministry in conversation essays in honor of paul goodliffe edited by andy goodliffe and John Colwell. So that's a book that we've both got some joy from uh, recently. Uh, while I was away, I also just read um, Viola Davis's um, autobiography, Finding Me, which is just one wonderfully engaging. I mean, I just whizzed through it in a day. It was so, um, I mean, harrowing in parts, uh, deeply distressing, um, which is so easy to read and uh, fantastic. Big Viola Davis fan in general. So I was pleased to read that. Um, so um, today we are going to hear from none other than the Reverend Ellen Wilde. Now, Ellen is currently the team leader at uh, Chichester Baptist Church down in Sussex. And uh, it was a real joy to uh, meet up with Ellen and to talk to her a little bit about what she's up to and what are some of the big things uh, going on for her at the moment. So we're going to listen in uh, to a chat with Ellen and then we're going to chat a little bit about it. So Ellen. Over to you. Well, uh, Ellen, hello, and welcome to the Something to Declare podcast. 
Thank you very much, David. It's a joy to chat with you. I've I've really enjoyed listening to the podcast, and now it's a, a real pleasure to be here with you in conversation. Thank you. Oh, it's great. Really pleased you could be. Part of it. Um, and you're down in Chichester in in Sussex. Uh, tell us a little bit about what life is like ministering in Chichester. Yes, thank you. That's right. I'm the uh, team leader at a church in Chichester. I've been here for coming up to eleven years. Um, before that, I was in London, so it was a very different way of life and a very different sort of ministry experience. I spent eight years at a church in South London, and then I moved here as a, a second minister in a team 11 years ago, uh, back to my hometown, really. I grew up around here. I wasn't really expecting to come back to where I grew up, but found myself here and bringing up my own family here in the same place where I did. And yes, coming up to 11 years here, um, most of those have been as a second minister. And then for the last two years, I've been the acting team leader and team leader at the church here. And it's it's glorious. It's a beautiful place to live. And uh, yeah, doing good. I'm really intrigued by that going going back to somewhere that you um, you grew up. So I've, I'm in a church in, in Essex, and although I didn't grow up uh, in this part of Essex, I grew up about 20 miles away. It, it, there was something about sort of coming home, which I hadn't sought um, necessarily, but I, I just kind of instinctively felt like I'd get it in a way that I almost didn't realise that I didn't where I was before. Does that make sense? Um, do you, have you had a similar sort of experience? Yes, that's really interesting. Obviously, I moved, you know, from 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 West Sussex to London. So that was a massive cultural shift for me. Um, I loved it, actually. And I learned so much. And I'm so glad I had those eight years. But there is something about a, a kind of returning to your heritage. It's not the exact location. It's about 10 miles. But I sort of I know the place. Um, and as you know, David, the Christian world is quite small. So um, <laughs> it, it, even after quite a long time being away, I've come back and there are, are relationships to pick up and familiarity, which I've actually really appreciated and enjoyed. Yeah, and um, you mentioned that you're uh, in the team leader role at, at the church. Um, I wonder if you might tell us a, a bit about that. How, um, I just it's a very interesting dynamic because you've you're obviously you've got the, the lead leadership role in the, in the church but then you're leading the team at the, at the same time um do you enjoy that sort of dynamic um what are the bits that um give you hope and energy from from that side of the world mm. yes oh gosh there's so much that's that's good it's um I actually resisted being a kind of team leader for a long time feel free to ask me about that if you want to I I I actually very much felt called to being a, a, a number two I actually thought that was a calling and um I can say more about that if you'd like it was you know I, I was actually ordained quite young I was ordained at, at 27 I've had nearly four nearly 20 years of of Baptist ministry experience and and there was a sense that I think people felt well they kept saying to me you know you're going to take on your own church as if somehow being a second minister with a colleague didn't count in quite the same way or or or, or that I was looking for a promotion or something when actually I, I very much felt call to being an associate minister for all that all that time um but in the last um two or three years where i've been leading the team i i have i have loved it in in so many ways um i get to lead a church but the way that i get to lead the church is by enabling a team to lead the church and there's something about championing and enabling others to flourish and to serve well um, and I, I see the benefit of that. That actually is, is so fulfilling in seeing what God is doing in, in the church. 
So I've surprised myself by being you know, willing and obedient to what God was calling me to. But actually, the team leader role at the moment feels like it fits for me. And it is, it is leading the team part of the job that I do actually enjoy the most. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Do, do tell us a bit more about um, resisting um, moving into a, a role like that. I, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I was a number two in a team before moving here. Mm-hmm. And I even found in my NAMS period that my NAMS mentor, who's a wonderful, wonderful man, um, but often he was just asking questions that it just wasn't, it isn't how it works. Like it, it, you're sort of... Yeah. He, leading but not leading and it's a really interesting dynamic and I I think people who feel called to that are such a gift yeah yeah so uh, you know early on there was a kind of oh of course she's going to be a second minister somewhere and then she'll learn and and then she'll kind of Hmm. take on her own church when actually I just felt it fitted me I felt like the coat fitted and also David I I feel really passionately, actually, that good number twos are really hard to find. They are. Yeah. I, I now have my own number two, and he's incredible. And, and I'm keeping hold of him because, you know, <laughs> good, number, good number twos are hard to find. And I and I think there is a calling in it. So I sort of committed myself, really, to being the best, most loyal, supportive number two to release my colleagues in the two churches that I've been in, three if you count where I was a student, so that they could flourish. Um and, and how powerful that is. I've seen relationships break down between colleagues where, they, where there isn't that. And so I, I know how precious it is to have a, a supportive, a confidant. Um, the church can't get at the leader through someone else. You know, there's a kind of united front that's really important. And also just for me, I was able to lead. I was able to lead the church and, and do my thing. But I was able to kind of stay in my lane. Um, I had my sort of niche areas of responsibility. The buck didn't finally stop with me. So it was quite pleasant actually being a, a, a number two. Um, I remember reading a book about, I think it was called Leading from the Second Chair. Yep. And it's this, that's that kind of idea. How do you lead and be a leader when actually you're not the leader? Um, but it fitted for me. And I, I, I do feel really passionate about it. And I, I'd, I'd want us as a, a union to look out, how can we really cheer on brilliant number twos? Wouldn't, wouldn't churches flourish where because team is the way forward if it's possible um yes so I I believe in it um I felt called to it I thought that would be it for my ministry I I resisted the idea of being a team leader for a whole bunch of of reasons um but here I am and realizing that God does know best and I'm I'm I've enjoyed being a number two but I'm also enjoying the team leader role where I am for now as well yeah I I think that's so interesting I I totally agree. I think finding a good number two is a real challenge in in ministry. I think a lot of churches with teams often seem to end up calling somebody who say already in the church rather than bringing someone in who's perhaps trained at college or whatever, almost for that reason, because you've got someone mm. who gets the church, you've got yeah. the relationship already, and it's just how important that is. Um, so I think that's often looks quite different. Um, really, really interesting. Yeah. And next to nothing when you were well, certainly when I trained or whatever, you know, it, it's just not referenced. Um, no, that's right. Who even are you? You know? Yeah. 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 Really interesting. Um, so what's big on the radar at uh, the church in, in Chichester? What are the sort of things that are big in your uh, vision at the moment? Yes. Well, like every church, we're just trying to work out what the landscape looks like um, post covid trying hard David to resist the urge just to do lots of stuff again and um, working out what it means to rebuild and 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 reconnect and recalibrate the church family 
without necessarily just getting back and doing all the same things we always did. This is this is the narrative everywhere at the moment, isn't it? It's it's what is God doing and saying for this new season. I do still feel like I'm reasonably new in the role, really. So I'm trying to, um, I guess, I'm trying to focus more on culture and values and less on on stuff and and, and vision. And in fact, I'm a little bit allergic, I think, to kind of goal setting. Um, I shy away when I hear strong, dominant people telling me they've got kind of a five-year plan and and here are their five goals for the next next year and this is what they want to achieve. And I I'm just not that kind of leader actually. I um I actually think if if we create healthy soil and if I can work really hard at building healthy team and a healthy culture, that's when life thrives. So I'm trying to be okay about not quite knowing what I'm doing this time next year or possibly even next month. But if I can create health and life in in staff team, in our leaders team, and in the, in the church, then I trust that that fruit will will grow from that. And and so what's on the radar? It's it's trying to kind of work out the soil, um, rebuilding together, working out good culture. Um, I feel incredibly blessed that I I took over from somebody here that I'd worked with for you know eight nine years. He had been here for twenty four years. Um, and rather than it being a, a difficult thing to take over from someone who, who had very big shoes to fill, instead there's something about the the culture that he had set and the continuing the story that I've found really beneficial. Um, I know the church, they know me, there's a, a high level of trust and relationship. Um, so I feel like I'm kind of continuing a story whilst at the same time working out what my own stamp on that looks like. And, and trying to kind of you know set culture and and let other things follow from that I'm really interested in that so often um yeah of, I mean anecdotally but often when one follows a longer ministry there there are certain challenges that come uh, with that um so you you followed a, a longer ministry but because you actually worked together for that eight nine year period it it's not a case of, you know, the church had somebody for 24 years and then somebody new came in. It's yes. a much more sort of uh, smooth transition in a way. Yes, that's right. It certainly has felt like a transition. And, you know, I guess, of course, there are, are, are challenges. Um, I, I think the challenges were more to do with my expectations of myself more than the church. I think I feared that the church would want me to be just like him. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm not at all in many ways. But actually, some a lot of those fears have been unfounded. Really, it's it's more my own expectations of myself that have that have been uh, challenging. I, I need to be secure and leading in who I am and, and leading the church in the way that God has called me to do with my own shape and my own personality. Um, I think somebody coming in cold, there's, there's good about that, isn't there? There's kind of fresh vision and and, and new life, etc. But also post COVID, with all of the upheaval, there's been something wonderful about someone who actually knows and loves the church that has helped the transition. And like I say, because I, I work so closely with the previous minister and also he was so great, it hasn't felt like I've had to undo things or repair things. I, I have been able to kind of continue the story, but perhaps with my own spin and my own shape on it. I'm, a, I'm, I'm just hugely grateful for heritage and where that's positive and that needs to be celebrated too, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and how how do you sustain that? So that um, I guess there are days when it's harder to truly feel like you can lead as yourself. 
um or i mean it might just be me but i i i think all ministers have days like that where yeah. we feel like perhaps us being us is part of the problem rather than the the solution and um, <laughs> how do you use this how do you sustain that do you have a, a mentor or a good network of friends what helps you uh sort of be who you've been called to be yeah that's that's a great question i do have i do have networks i've got a pastoral supervisor i have a really good peer group of, of female minister friends who are just absolute gems they're women of valor and I, I couldn't have done the last couple of years without them and that really helps one of the biggest things David I think for me has been finding a kind of peace about my own gifting and, and an understanding of myself and an understanding of what I can bring and what I don't bring um, and just being secure in that so there's various bits of church life I don't know about you but I I, I could do without really you know I, I'm, the, I'm the team leader of a church actually governance finances dare I say it even the program sometimes you know I, there's bits of it I could just I'd be happy not really being involved in but actually knowing what I can bring and do bring I need other people for some of those things you know I've got some great people around me for some of the things where I've got gaps and I think I I think I found a piece about what I do bring, which is why I was resisting the team leader role, perhaps actually a piece about that um, to do with things like emotional intelligence that I think is just massively underrated in leadership. Um, yes. I think it's, it is so valuable and so key and it's not talked about or, or, or taught on or encouraged particularly. I think it's absolutely key. Um, in fact, I, I read something by, um, by Pete Gregg that really resonated with me because he was talking about his role as a pastor and he was describing, he said something like 85% of his ministry is invisible. Now, I don't, I don't know what the percentages are for me, but I really resonated with this idea that um, you think about ministry as, as leading, as preaching, as chairing meetings, as being very sort of present, a, a kind of public perception of leadership. And of course it is those things. But actually I look at what I... I am and what I bring and a massive percentage of it is invisible if you ask me what have I done well actually some of it is is what Pete Gregg calls quietly curating the space between people isn't that a brilliant phrase I love that yeah I I want to be a minister that quietly curates space between people can I have that on my epitaph that I did that <laughs> because, um, wouldn't it wouldn't it be wonderful for that to be what we what we do and actually I think I found a piece in myself, I think, that actually this is some of what I do. It's not massively visible. Um, I'm not a huge personality in some ways, but actually noticing, listening, communicating, preempting problems, navigating things in the team and in the church. I think, I think all of that really, really helps in a kind of emotional intelligence kind of way to understand church and to set culture. So, so to go back to your question, you know, how do I how do I do this? I've got great peers, I've got a supervisor, but also I've I've after 20 years, I've come to a settledness about all the things I don't bring, but what I can bring and just being okay about that being enough. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And um, you mentioned about having a really uh, good supportive group of uh, women ministers who um you you're friends uh, with and we were both at the larger churches conference last yeah. year um and uh, jane uh, day was sharing there about uh, project violet and how churches um particularly churches that do have teams and things like that have a particular role to to play and one that 
historically not been great at, at fulfilling. Um, I found that a really interesting conversation that we had at, at Highly yes. about that. Um, and I think if I'm right, part of our reflection was you, um, you were the only person there then sort of leading a team yeah. um, who wasn't uh, male. And, and I mean, God willing, that's something that's going to go on changing and changing and changing. Um, is that something you're very aware of or not really? Yes, 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 obviously. Obviously, I am. Um, there's a there's a kind of, you know, glass half empty and a glass half full, isn't there? I've been the glass half empty is that I've been in ministry for nearly 20 years. And here we are still having to talk about the fact that women ministers are just in the minority and not just hugely in the minority, but it just can be a slog and there's challenge and there's bias, etc. Um but, but glass half full, here I am after 20 years in ministry and, and I am leading a, a larger church. Now, I, I, I haven't been looking for that as I've been describing, but um, I feel privileged that actually my church has, has entrusted the leadership of a larger church to, to a woman for this season. And, and not, every, not every church would, would have appointed me and, and they did. And I'm, I'm really thankful for that. You're right, David, we were there at the, the larger churches conference there were very, very few women, and, and I feel passionate about encouraging women into ministry, but also encouraging women into wider Baptist life, into, into more significant leadership roles within the union, but right. also team leading. Can we please get some more women actually leading teams in larger churches too? And I'd love to be part of championing that and supporting that. Part of my story, of course, is that someone spotted potential in me when I was younger, Yes. Um, you know, I'm sure there are some reasons around why I'm doing this now after 20 years when maybe a man might have done it after, you know, three, four, five, partly because I had young kids and I was a mum, but partly just because of the, the narrative about what women do and don't do. And actually, someone saw potential in me in my early 20s. I went to college and was ordained at 27. And what that means is here I am 20 years later with with some experience but also lots of time still to give and so I feel passionate about encouraging women I feel passionate about encouraging women into the leadership of larger churches and I feel passionate about encouraging younger women so they've got some longevity about them too yeah I was when I came here that my church here has a long history of being supportive of women in leadership and women in ministry and all the people we've sent for ordination have been have been women in the in the time I've been here, which has been wonderful. Really? Um, but as I came, I, I reflected with some of the team who were here that I think my role leading the team, I think there would still have been people at the time who would have, they don't mind having the number two yeah. or other members of the team. But they, I think that's changed now. I don't think that would be the same at all. I think the church would be totally uh, up, up and open. In fact, probably keen to deliberately take that step, actually. Mm. Um, but... Uh, I think there's still often that hesitation of, you know, yeah. what we find with women being ordained, but it, it's almost just, it, there's no reasoning for it. It just, for some people, is hard to compute. Exactly and, that, yeah. exactly that. There, there is reasoning, but it's, it's hard to articulate. It's not theological mostly. No. You know, very few, very few people who support women as a number two have got any theological reasons really, but it, there are the reasons actually is it's a kind of unconscious bias because you just haven't seen it so if you if you haven't been in churches where women have led a team then it feels odd to you even though your rational head says this shouldn't feel odd 
it mm. just does. And so for some, there's a kind of discomfort about it. But of course, the only way we're going to get over that is by modeling it, because you can't be what you can't see and all of that. Mm. Um, so the more that we model it, um, the more it will happen. So what an amazing privilege that I have to, to model that. This, this is not an issue in my church any longer. Um, in fact, David, I remember my, my youngest son um, saying to me, I've got two boys. He was quite young at the time, probably six or seven. He said to me, you know, mummy, can men be ministers too? When we were talking <laughs> about when we were talking about like job ideas. And I, I laughed, but I thought, Do you know what? There's a cycle that's been broken. All the young people in my church and in, in the orbit of our church will, will grow up thinking this is just entirely normal. What a privilege to have, have changed the culture, really. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, really, really wonderful. Um, now, Ellen, when uh, folks come to join us on the podcast, uh, we always ask them the same couple of questions to, to end as well. And I wonder if I might ask them to you. Um, and the first question is, if you had one thing to declare to the union in this moment, what would it be? These are hard questions, David, aren't they? You know, one thing. I have I have 47 things. Um, <laughs> I think if I think if, if it was one thing and it, it just happened on this particular day, another day might be something else, but in this in this season that we're in, I think it would be something about unity. It would be to do with saying something about there being more that unites us than divides us, and can we please focus on that? It does feel to me that, that post-COVID, there's been so much water that's been muddied, really. There's a, a weariness, there's rebuilding, there are tensions over theological issues and so on. But actually, we are covenanted together in relationship. And so let's hold on to that, um, holding on to the, the heart of the gospel that we share, uh, that we are united around Jesus, that we are to be his hands and his feet. And, and let's celebrate difference and, and work hard at covenant unity. I love that. Hear that. Absolutely right. Thank you so much. Um, and if you think Baptists had one thing to declare to the world, what would that be? It would also be something probably to do with our, our covenant. We, we Baptists are brilliantly placed because we're covenanted together to, to truly demonstrate the love of Jesus to the world. I think we can be agile and flexible and responsive in a way that, that others struggle to. Um, a friend of mine used a phrase that I love, and it's this phrase, it's roots down, walls down. And I think that's what we've got to declare to the world, that we are churches that are rooted, rooted in Jesus, rooted in the Bible, rooted in gospel theology, but with walls down, where we can reach out in, in, in classical ways, in new ways, in radical ways, and where we can be a people who remove barriers for those who want to find Jesus and find faith and, and with covenant relationships at the heart. So roots down, walls down. That's what I'd like us to declare to the world. I, I, I feel a sermon series coming on just hearing you say it. it. I, I've, I've made a note. Uh, absolutely right. Uh, thank you for sharing that, that with us. And indeed, thank you for uh, coming and sharing on the, the podcast today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, David. So, Beth, 
what do we make of that? Where are we going to start? Oh, her emotional intelligence. Can we start there? Yes, um, let's. Because just, yes, it's beautiful, isn't it? I and mean, she recognises that's who she is and that's what she brings. And it came through the whole way through. And mm. um, I always say it was the tone of what people say as well as what they say. But it's, it's yeah, it's, it is. I mean, she's so emotionally intelligent in her reflections. And it, it was really um gorgeous to be able to listen into that to listen into her sense of settledness in herself and her kind mm. of increasing security of who she is and what she brings and why and yeah it felt peaceful listening to her didn't it um it was lovely so I was very envious that you had that conversation actually as well <laughs> like it was a real privilege to us to listen into it because I was like oh I want to go and hang out with Alan mm. <laughs> I I want her to be our, my minister David like we always say yes oh, we do her. I do I've had this experience again yeah I I found um a bit like when I chatted with uh, Julie uh, for our Advent special in season two, you know, you almost wanted to scribble down every sentence because it's just gold uh, coming out of it, all the conversation. And um, Alan has a real gift, I think, amongst other things, obviously, but for articulating things in a way it's just so profound. Um, and, you know, things that I would take a long time to explain. Uh, she's able to just, there's, there's so many little sentences which just captured so much and were so deep mm. and rich. And I loved, loved uh, all of that. And so um, a couple of those that I particularly picked out were, which talks about quietly curating the space between people. I liked that a lot. And deep love for the idea of roots down, walls down. I mean, I should be stealing that and using it shamelessly for the next 40 years. Um, I liked that a lot, but I just found there were all sorts of moments like that where I found myself having to write, wanting to write it down. Yes, the language about being placed with agility as Baptists, mm. um, that, was, that was amazing. And um, yeah, she talked about healthy soil as well. So you're kind of picking up again on that kind of gardening idea. Yeah, of, um, gardening. Yeah, good old gardening. Maybe she's yeah. left Patrick. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's this um, lovely idea that um, this kind of healthy soil um, being the thing that grows things. And she's so it's the culture and values of a place rather than the stuff and vision that mm. that enables growth and and so to be kind of slightly resistant to the kind of five year plan model of kind of leadership, but much more is kind of um nurturing um and and for her that's obviously a lot about the team that she leads but um yeah I thought I thought that was great I mean I always think you know there's a phrase isn't it that culture eats strategy for breakfast um and and I think yes um yes I'm sure I think that's true but I think it's it's just the way she um the way she narrated it was was just lovely and holy Mm. and yeah Mm. and I think there's something something so awesome yeah I was yeah so something about her culture and the culture she would create around her I believe yeah and, and I find it so encouraging and healthy and um other good words and to have someone who is serving as a, a team leader in a, a larger church talking the language that she's talking about culture and values um over five-year plans and it it just felt so healthy to me and um, I mean Ellen and I uh, met in person um i guess for the second time technically because she came did something at college but she won't have remembered me from there um that was many 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 moons ago for us both now and at the larger churches conference um and it was just 
so lovely to have someone bringing what she was bringing to those conversations in a place which can lean a little bit towards a kind of alpha male vibe. Um, and there was a beautiful moment where Ellen was curating a conversation with, with the, the four or five women who were in the room, uh, definitely a minority. Um, and then, you know, proceeded to give some space for questions where the men in the room proceeded to talk out almost all of the time in a beautiful dish of irony. Um, when we were talking about giving women more space in, in our churches. But um, yeah, there was just something about the way she talks and the way in which she's exercising that role whilst thoroughly being herself. Well, mm. I think it's so easy not to. I, mean, I remember when I came here to Shubri, kind of, you know, the challenge for me, I felt, was to do this sort of a role without being a, an alpha male jerk, I think was the language I used at the time. I would use more nuanced language now. And obviously lots of gorgeous people at the large church conference, I don't mean that in relation to them, but just the temptation is to step into that space and think that you have to do things in a certain way and not to be yourself. And it's taken me 11 years probably to work out, actually, no, this is what I bring to this and this is how it needs to be done. Um, and yeah, I just thought it was also healthy, I guess, which comes back to that emotional intelligence that you mentioned. Mm. Yeah, you asked a great question about transition um, after a really long ministry and taking that on when you've been the kind of the, the sort of second, you know, the second mm. in command figure. Um, and that her answer was really about her own security in being yes. willing to trust that she needed to be herself and that how the heritage was deeply positive. Um, I love that mm. she's with heritage because... Um, I think I would use the word, phrase tradition, which um, <laughs> I thought was very nice, um, and uh, and the kind of heritage um, and that kind of, but also being yeah, kind of like she was so unthreatened, wasn't she? Um, and mm. so for her, it was about not being defensive or kind of you know needing to be yeah, needing to be fit a mold that she she wasn't, mm. but to really trust that she was to be herself. Um, and I think golly how incredibly freeing that mm. is um and yes um to kind of yeah to be able to lean into just doing what you are and that being good enough and um yeah I wonder I really do wonder how much we are that in ministry M many of us all of us perhaps um that we I wonder how much we feel like there is an expectation of being a certain sort of thing certain type mm. of holy a certain sort of person that we are meant to be and then they're kind of yeah becoming yourself is actually quite hard work I think um yes so, definitely know. and I think it's a lifetime's work as yes. well you know when I grow up I want to be more like Ellen is basically the uh the upshot of a bunch of that I think yeah there is I think it is a lifetime's work I think that inner work never finishes really does it but um I think ministry is hard enough in and of itself, but to do that with the crippling imposter syndrome or um, sense of not being enough or all that scarcity culture, mm. it just becomes almost impossible at times, I think. Um, and so making space for your own spiritual and emotional health, I think is a vital thing for sustaining ministry. I don't see how you can do it without or not healthily anyway. And I think, um, you know, it's so hard, isn't it? Because I think so many of us go into ministry because we deeply care about other people. And so we deeply care about what other people think. Um, yes. And we want, we want to meet their hopes and aspirations and needs and loves and desires. And it's about having to kind of recognise 
um that maybe it won't <laughs> mm-hmm. um and and b that actually you know and that that's actually not the calling of of itself um mm-hmm. you know it's it's to be um it's firstly to be kind of our you know who who christ has asked us to be and to be christ-like and then to kind of yeah but i think you know it's interesting you david you said um uh, i want to be more like ellen and i'm pretty certain ellen to say david you need to be like david <laughs> yeah yeah yes yes that's very true <laughs> david david's particular selection of davidness is actually what we need yeah but it is i mean it is hard it's hard to um yeah I think I think especially as with churches at times are challenging as well and they can become very challenging can't they that then you can feel quite critiqued and you know to to be to be able to be a non-defensive and secure version of who you are um that yeah Mm. holds all of that it's just it is a lifetime's work and in ministry constantly I think um so much of what we are about but yeah I um about lifetime I think one of the things I really noticed that was kind of kept coming through everything she said was how she measured things um so she talks about um like measuring time like she kept narrating how many years of things um uh and then she talked about seasons a bit and then she talked about what's not measurable in ministry um you know the hidden stuff of ministry that you never see and then she talked Mm. about this idea of a cup being half full and half empty in ministry that as a woman she was in a senior you know kind of senior position of a large church but at the same time the kind of the half emptiness being that actually maybe the change hadn't been as huge as it could have been um you know she's like doing it she's doing this after 20 years where maybe other people might be doing after three or four and she was measuring the time Mm. again and it was just really interesting even in her one thing to declare she said or one thing or I've got 47 and it was just really fascinating that this kind of language of kind of numbers and measuring and a kind of pattern was was really through all of what she said and I think it was also so connected in then when she was talking about this idea of being number two or number one and what the difference between those things would be as well that even that was kind of numbered um Mm -hmm. and um yeah I I was sort of I'm really, I was just really interested in that. I, mm. I don't have any wise reflections on it. Just, <laughs> just, it was there. Um, yeah. And I think maybe it was this idea that what she was trying to identify is what she couldn't measure about ministry, that, that there was so much that she could quantify. Here's the time and here's the season and here's the this role and that role and the difference. But the, all the unmeasurable stuff was actually mm. perhaps the deep gift of her ministerial life. Really interesting. Um, I think the the number two thing is a really interesting dynamic, and uh, not least because I think of, almost all the people who end up being team leaders and having second ministers work with them haven't been second ministers themselves. Mm. So there's often a very odd dynamic where the the people who are sort of looking after you, line managing you, whatever language church wants to use, um, actually haven't done your job. And it's a very different dynamic in ministry. And I so love all the things I was saying about the importance. There is a real calling to being a brilliant number two in a team. And so many churches would be so, I mean, I've been very blessed to work with some gorgeous people here um, as well. But when I was doing that role, like my nan mentor had never been in a church where they'd done my job. So, you know, again, a wonderful uh, guy, but they didn't get 
the position I was in, you know, because, well, why can't you just do that? Well, I can't just do that. It's not how it works. And, and I think um, there's a, there is a real, there was, and there's not much literature out there either, really. There was one book, I remember when I was training called Leading from the Second Chair, which was uh, uh, from the Leadership Network in the, the States, which was uh, pretty helpful in, in looking at some of the dynamics, but there's not a lot out there and nothing at college trains you for any of that either. And it is quite different. I guess, not that many people end up serving in that capacity, um, but it's a very different dynamic. And to do it with grace and to do it for a sustained period uh, is, is a real, real gift um, and a blessing to churches to have teams that can work together in that way. And I think one of the I think there are two really interesting things in it as well, which is often that it is a transitional role. So often we put in, you know, maybe as a minister in training or mm-hmm. uh, is your first, maybe your NAMS ministry or kind of an early ministry, you might go and be a kind of um, the associate minister of a, of a church. Um, and, and then, but it's a, because it's seen to be temporary and transitional, I suppose maybe then it does build in that kind of concept of, oh, well, um, maybe this is only, you know, they can take over this role next mm. or something. And then actually then that maybe feels less secure. I don't know. Mm. Um, but then the other thing about it is that I think we do do it a lot, but we do it for particular types of people. So I think okay. a lot of our women are mm. encouraged into those roles. Um, sometimes because like, uh, you know, in a positive, in a positive version, you know, like Ellen, they would say, this is who I am and this is who I want to be. And I don't want to have to do those other things. Um, so there's a sense of freedom to be yourself in a, second ministry that perhaps there isn't always in the um I don't know what do I want to call it um I feel like number two or number one are not the words I want to use no I know what you mean on hierarchical but like I guess if you are um if if you're uh the the kind of the line managing pastor in some way if that's the right way of putting it and then the kind of book stops with you in in those Mm. sorts of decisions ultimately then actually or you maybe have more time if you're kind of fully stipended full time mm. as opposed to half time, that kind of thing. Actually, I think there is something there. Um, there's a lot about women um, boundarying life, especially when they have younger families, because it's a way of, you know, being being the kind of associate minister is a way of, of boundarying some of the responsibilities mm. that you're juggling. Um, but I think, yeah, so I think it's really interesting. I do wonder, um, perhaps we do cultivate uh kind of that sort of second you know that kind of associate ministry but with particular f- sort of dynamic and usually as perhaps are women with an expectation of kind of pastoral or mm. um, children and families work or kind of some of those slightly you know kind of like a different kind of vibe or it's almost like a kind of Anglican curacy model where you kind of you're in here to train up to be the next thing mm. and so you're learning from that way but um yeah. And actually wonder, I, you know, would love to see some of the kind of alpha male types sit in those long standing second, you know, kind of associate roles, actually, because that, that I think that would be quite a remarkable thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, and that's clearly what she's, you know, no, I should, I should know you in any way use the phrase alpha male, but she was talking very favorably about her kind of associate, you know, her, her, her colleague and the way. Yeah willing to yeah and that is brilliant I love it when gender roles get subverted so yes. um but yeah, yeah. so anyway so I just think it's, I thought it was really interesting um yeah mm. 
lots and lots to to pick up there i'm i would definitely it's one i will go back and listen to again i think and uh, and continue to reflect even on some of the things we've chatted about today as well because there's lots in there that we might well return to in in future uh, episodes um as well but thank you to ellen for mm. being part of our podcast and part of our union <laughs> and yes and just part of the whole thing absolutely right being absolutely right with agility with us and being willing to work with us in covenantal unity we're grateful <laughs> <laughs> um so let us finish with a, a blessing um as we come to the end of today's um episode uh shall i do the blessing today or do you want to do the blessing today um you do the blessing today. Oh, I'll do, you can do it next time. I'll do it today. <laughs> um, so this is our blessing for season three from Kate Bowler's book, uh, Good Enough. Blessed are you who realise that, that there is simply not enough time, money, resources. Blessed are you who are tired of pretending that the raw, that raw effort is the secret to perfection. It's not. And you know that now. Blessed are you who need a gentle reminder that even now, even today, God is here. And somehow, that is good enough. Okay. Thank you, David. Um, well, thank you, Beth. And uh, thank you, uh, listeners. And we'll see you again next time. See you soon, everybody. Bye-bye.